Lou Fowl will take a shot downfield. And it is handed by Bryce Bubba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. Montez, same play, that screen to Shea Fields on the right side. He breaks it around the block, running into 45. It's a foot race, and they're not going to get him. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Gilliman is face, whips that one down the sideline, and it is picked off by Tedrick Thompson. But was he in bounds? He went high in the air. Everton came down with a football. I used to tell them all the time when I was first recruiting this bunch of guys, all these seniors and redshirt juniors, um, come on with me, um, we're, but we're getting in a roller coaster, okay? And you're getting in the roller coaster at the bottom. And when you say you want to come, I'm going to lock it on you quick. Well, you can't get out because I don't want you to change. And then I want you to lock in, and I want you to just stay with me. And they've stayed with me. And now we're up there, we're kind of gone up that long hill where it goes click, 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 click. And you're like, huh. And now we're going, woo. And I think they want to keep going, woo. And uh, that's what we're going to do. So they're, they're tasting it, so we're going to ride that roller coaster. Nothing can stop me, I'm all the way up. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio at a monster tiger publisher of buffstampede.com. Here at Casa de Ziskin this yeah, week. Fan first correspondent, time. fan correspondent, fan correspondent, fan correspondent, Tyler yeah. Ziskin. Wow, you killed that one. <laughs> you should just record that for like the the next episode so that you can just use it. <laughs> yeah, we got to go here today. Adam was nice enough to deal with my schedule. Little I, had, I had to bake a little pie. So, so we can talk about that off the air. <laughs> little, little shout out to La Loma, some uh, pretty yeah. awesome chili rianos. But you guys don't care what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit of CU football. Ranking for the first time in nearly 11 years. What, what, if anything, does this mean, Tyler? Well, it means a lot to the fans. I think more than anything else. I mean, I was, it, they, haven't, they haven't been ranked since I was a freshman in college, which is just crazy to think about. So, you know, it's... And for us who have said for so long that we're so close and people around the country are like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. You guys will never get there. To see it actually come to fruition is pretty awesome. Um, but I think the team is right. Their attitude about it is 100% correct. You know, it's nice to be recognized, but we're not where we want to be yet. I mean, at the very least, they're two wins away from a bowl game. That's the first goal you want to get to. And then from there, obviously, you're trying to win a Pac-12 South division title. So... It's worthwhile. I think they should have been ranked the week before as well. Um, what they've accomplished so far is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty commendable. And it's you know to come where they have. Just look at the Oregon game. How far they've come, being down fifty to zero at halftime, basically to winning a game at Austin. It's really cool. But uh, it's uh, just another step in the process. Honestly, once you look at it on a grander scale, it's just been kind of cool to see the outpouring from national media yeah. folks that. Part of that is I think they obviously just felt bad for mm -hmm. Colorado and then how bad the program was. I think it does kind of put it in context exactly how bad Colorado was viewed outside of you know some of our circles. We saw at times some of the progress, and you kind of glom on to any optimism you can. Nationally, no one ever paid any attention to that stuff. Right, know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those 
broken clock is right twice a day type of thing. Yeah. That's how most people viewed it, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's been great. Um, it reminds you how many CU alumni there are in the media. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of those those people's friends are, you know, it kind of stick, you know, they feel bad for those guys and they kind of, you know, I wish Colorado would come back. And people have said Colorado being good is good for college football. And honestly, now that it's getting there, I see why. It's just like bringing in a whole other region of the country into football. And I think people love their tradition of Ralphie and they love what we stood for in the 90s. And I just think it's, I, I think people really truly do believe that us being good is good for the Pac 12 and good for football in general. We're going to hit on some of the hot topics early, obviously the quarterback situation. I've got an interview with Timmy Lanat, offensive guard. Uh, of course, the Buff Stampede mailbag, Tyler Ziskin's Pac-12 power rankings. We'll work in a little men's basketball talk and have an interview with Xavier Johnson um, towards the end of the show uh, before we sign off with some odds and ends. Kind of a crazy day. We're recording this on Wednesday. I was up at practice, and I hadn't heard about a guy running around with a machete. And I saw the police presence up there, and uh, it started to get little bits of information coming out. I mean, this happened right next to the football coach's office. Uh, obviously, they were practicing at the time, but there was operations guys up in there locked into their office that heard the gunshots and heard it all go down. Media, we spend uh, you know a lot of time mulling around in there. I mean, it just your mind starts to think about what happens if this happened at you know on a Tuesday when we're all, you know, happen to be in that same space. It's kind of a scary deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, you don't think those type of things happen in Boulder, but you just never know, you know. And I, honestly, I think it's pretty fortunate that a guy just walked into the building with a machete and didn't find anybody to take out his frustrations on. I mean, that could have gone pretty poorly. There's not a lot of security in there in terms of personnel. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you really wanted to hurt some people, I'm sure you could have. So it's, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, just hit him being the only casualty is about as good of a circumstance as you could hope for. So from that perspective, it's, I'm glad nothing worse happened. Yeah. And it's unfortunate now you're probably going to have to get everything on lockdown mode going forward. Cause yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the Coors event center, you can just walk right in there as well. I would imagine they're going to put some security measures in there, you would think. Yeah, well. definitely. I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, especially for what sounds like has a reason that has literally nothing to do with Colorado or football. Or I mean, there's really no reason for him to be in that building. It's kind of a weird circumstance. Yeah. Well, the, the big topic this week, again for the third week in a row, is who starts a quarterback. Sefo Lufau is getting healthier and healthier. He kind of said, hey, I think I'm 100%. Mike McIntyre was asked about that and said, absolutely not. He's not 100%. It's, I lean towards McIntyre being accurate here because remember when Cephalufau had the shoulder injury last year? He would never admit to ever being right. in pain. And then after he has a Liz Frank foot injury, we heard that he was greatly limited because of that shoulder. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, a, the toughest guy in the room, as McIntyre always says. Um He's not going to admit to you that he's hurt. Um, he thinks he can play every week, and I'm sure he would do, try his best to do so. But I still think there's some lingering issues there, and McIntyre will make the decision that's best for the team long term. I kind of thought initially this would be the game Seffa would come back, and now I'm leaning towards thinking that Steven Montez gets another start against Seffa Lufau. He is planting and throwing in practice, but this is kind of a new revelation and I'm fine with that. I, you know, it's going to be a different animal for Steven Montez for sure. This is not going to be easy to duplicate like he did against really bad defenses uh, against Oregon and Oregon State. 
do you have confidence in Steven Montez if he's a starting quarterback that he can put together similar stat lines? Absolutely, you have to. I mean, he's proven to be capable, absolutely. And I think USC is the best defense that he will have played a full game against, um, for sure. They have a lot of athletes, especially in their secondary. Um, they're kind of young in the D-line, so again, I hope we um, run the ball enough to kind of make things a little bit easier, get into those short yardage situations for Montez, uh, and that includes him. Um, obviously, he, he's proven to be a threat with his legs when necessary as well. So um, if that's the way the team decides to go this week, yeah, I mean, you have to have confidence in him. There's no reason not to. And I think at the end of the day, if he isn't able to get it done in the Coliseum against arguably the most talented team in the conference, despite their record, that, that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to completely give up faith on the guy if he's not lights out like he has been the past two weeks either. I would be surprised, though, if Sefa is not starting when they come back home to play Arizona State, and I think that's the right thing to do. There's a lot of people that maybe haven't been paying attention to Colorado until the Oregon game that right. have glommed on to what Steve Montes has done, but there's no way you could have paid attention to those first three games and make the argument you're going to go away from your three-year captain, your senior, I mean, a guy that was sixth in the country in passer rating when he gets hurt. I, I don't understand that argument for Montez, given all that. Yeah, I mean, his stats are actually better than Montez's, which is crazy because Montez has been incredible so far. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that you – I mean, he's your senior leader. Um, he's been there before. He knows what's necessary to win these Pac-12 road games. He's been through the, all the ups and downs with the team. You can Just based on what you saw from when Montez came in the first time, they obviously have a connection to Cepho as their leader. And obviously Montez has proven to be – uh, to be able to garner their respect as well. But I still think at the end of the day, Cepho is the guy that you trust the most to get the job done. He's not going to have those freshman mistakes. Uh, he's going to make all the right reads, that, those small things that maybe the casual fan doesn't necessarily notice. You've always been a big Jimmy Gilbert fan. He had yeah. quite a game, uh, two sacks, yeah. two forced fumbles in that football game against Oregon State. Yeah, he's the best pass rusher on the team, especially with D-Mac injured. I understand that he's he's got some deficiencies in the run game. He's a smaller guy, but he's always just been somebody that I felt like made impact big plays, and I was just really proud of him to have such a big game on that level um, against a conference opponent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it uh, felt like he was all over the field. Yeah, I mean, I, he was definitely all over the field. And I feel like since that Michigan game, he's been pretty solid containing the edge as well. Has gotten more disciplined in that role. So he's um, as a senior has really become a vital part of this defense. Greg Rogers, of course, was the uncommitted recruit that was on campus for an official visit this past weekend, and uh, he was telling guys that are committed, kind of hinting that Colorado's got a pretty strong lead for him now. There's quite a while until he's actually going to make that verbal commitment. A couple months from now, in, in early December, he's got three other official visits coming up. Greg Rogers doesn't like talking to the media a whole lot, but it definitely sounds yeah. like uh, his, his trip kind of blew him away. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to get ahead of myself and say he's coming at, at this point, but uh, to give yourself a legitimate shot against a guy who it would be our highest rated commit, um, obviously took an official visit to Oklahoma, feels, I think we both feel pretty confident that we have the lead on them, so through his two official visits, um, UCLA and USC have always been connected to him. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are the guys that you're going to have to watch as far as his recruitment goes. ASU is involved, but I would be surprised if they make the cut longer than we do at this point. Um, but you never know. And uh, in terms of looking ahead to this USC game, it would have been nice to play the Trojans a couple weeks ago because it seems like they figured some things out. And Arizona State uh, finally got exposed by them last Saturday. Uh, yeah, definitely. They... Oh, man, it's it's hard to really get a 
100% read on what USC is right now. Um, Donald, they definitely improved. You just you don't you don't know um, how they're going to show up every week. They're pretty inconsistent overall. Arizona State started out four and We've talked about it on this podcast a couple different times. We weren't really buying them in total. Uh, we you saw why in that game. Their defense is really suspect. Uh, you have to figure we're going to score a ton of points on them when they come to Boulder. So those are your next two matchups, and I, th- I think one and one is. Um, a pretty solid result, two and always possible, and that, that would obviously get you to a bowl game. It'd be a pretty ridiculous start. Yeah. What? Uh, what if anything scares you about USC? Just they're the fact it's just that if they those talented players decide yeah, they want to show up, they're and... athletes. Yeah, I mean, if 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 we make one gap issue, kick off a turn, punt return, and Dory Jackson will make you pay for that. Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy who's been a little inconsistent, honestly, but he is one of the most electric players in the Pac-12. Um, I mean, if kind of what we saw with Shea Fields in that Oregon State screen, mm-hmm. he is a beast at that. You give him a little seam, it's a good, good night. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they just have a lot of talent overall. I mean, there's four and five stars all over the field there. If they, if they click like they did against Arizona State, it's going to be really difficult to play with them. Yeah. Well, I had a chance to talk earlier this week with Timmy Lanat. He's been... Pretty good, uh, about as good as you could expect a redshirt freshman starting at the Pac-12 level. Here's that interview. Tim, uh, the, it seems like the offensive lines played relatively well here through five games. What's going to have been kind of your assessment of your group? Uh, you know, we're improving every week. We're getting better. Uh, it's, it's definitely been a bigger improvement since the first game, and we're definitely like getting closer together as a team, and um, especially as an offensive line group. So. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that just we got to improve every week and just get better every practice. And, you know, we don't play the – we play the games, but we win the games through practice. And we just need to keep improving each practice and do the best we can. Has seeing your first Division One action been kind of like what you thought it was going to be going into this season? Uh, you know, it has been. It, um, it was really, like, stressful in the beginning, obviously. But I've gotten pretty used to it now, and I'm adjusting more and um, just trying to get better each practice. And as lo- like just like any of these guys out here, just trying to get better each week. And um, you know, it's just one of those things. Just you got to get used to it. And I was expecting it to be pretty hard, and it has been. So um, you know, you just got to expect that and just train for it. Have you done some things out there that have given you encouragement for your for your future and, and kind of your potential? Um, yeah, there, there's been some good things, but you know, there's also been things I need to improve on for sure. Um, but that's normal for just anyone just playing a game, honestly. It's just there's every, every time you need something to improve on, obviously, each game. Um, but there's been some encouraging things, and um, it's been it's making me pretty happy. And it's just, you know, it's just stuff I need to just learn off of and just keep getting better and do the same stuff I just keep doing. When you were a recruit, you had a lot of options. You could have gone a lot of places. Um, it, it seems like uh, your gamble coming here to Colorado is kind of paying off in terms of the, the team finding success. Did were you, Was there any nervousness at all during the recruiting process that this would happen? Um, no, you know, um, I had full trust in just my parents, my, the coaches, and, you know, all the players I talked to. Um, they talked to me about how it's we're on that rise, and you know they're right. Obviously, we're um, we're just getting better each week, and we're becoming the best team we can be. And um, you know, there's times you could worry. You could say like if you watch the game, but you know, it's like you saw like they got better last year, and they just kept getting better each year. So 
um, that was a big thing for me to see that, and I was just, you know, that was just a big thing for me just to see, and um, obviously that was the thing that made me see like we're definitely on the rise. Were there classmates or friends that thought you were making the bad, uh, wrong decision? Did you have to kind of tune out some people? You do, for sure. Like, there's a lot of guys that are like, oh, why are you going to see you when you could be going, you know, somewhere else, like maybe Oregon or something. But, you know, it's like now they're like, wow, it's, that's crazy. You guys are you guys are doing so well. You guys are 4-1 already and um, 21st in the nation. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things you just got to tune it out. But now they're bandwagoning, obviously, some of them. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that supported me, and um, they're like, that's awesome. They're getting to go there to such a great school, and um, I thank them and, you know, thank all the guys that doubted us too. Obviously, you guys are kind of focused on the mission, but when you, you see the recruiting kind of taking uptick, you guys with Jonathan, like Jonathan Van Diesen, say, guys committing. Um, well, how do you guys react to that in the locker room? Are you excited that there's going to be continue to have kind of this talent coming into the program? Uh, obviously, yeah. It's, it's, it's a big thing to get those recruits, and, um, you know, it just it helps our team. You know, when we lose those seniors this year, we're going to have younger guys have to step up and, you know, those guys coming in, they're going to have to probably step up as well as, and take a big role in um, what the seniors used to do. And, you know, it's just, you just got to keep stacking, stacking and just, you know, when those guys come in, you got to teach them, you got to mentor them and just get them prepared. You guys have already played in the big house out at Autzen Stadium, kind of a raucous crowd there. Do uh, you think that's prepared you for this week going out to Memorial Coliseum? Yeah, you know, we're, we're prepared every week, you know, um, we're always prepared, like, even if it's a small game, you say, say anything, it's just a small game. But we prepare, we always go in the indoor, just make it loud and just, you know, get used to the atmosphere like we always do. And um, usually we tune out the crowd, honestly. We just, we just keep going. We just play our game and um, just do what we do. Any added pressure now being a ranked football team? Uh, no, no pressure. It's nice to be recognized, but, you know, it's just it's another game. It's another game. You just got to go out the next week and just keep hitting the next team. And, um, win that game and just keep going. So, um, you know, it's, you just you just got to keep playing, and um, it's just it's no pressure at all. It's just it's another game. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Lenat uh, lost his grandfather during camp, and uh, he's dedicated this season to him, and he's making his grandpa proud. I mean, again, for a redshirt freshman offensive lineman, he's had a few, couple flags, but uh, when I've keyed in on him. I, I get really excited about how good he's going to be uh, during his career throughout the rest of it, especially. I mean, you talk about the learning curve those guys have on the offensive line to see how solid he is without mm -hmm. much experience. I think uh, this is an all-conference guy at some point. Definitely. I mean, you, him and Cole have been really successful pulling, which is usually a good sign that you've got a really athletic guy in that guard. That's something you love. It makes the natural move to center even easier, you would think, for him. Uh, he's played the most snaps of anyone on the offense uh, pretty incredible you know what I mean it's pretty cool for a redshirt freshman so he's been everything we expected and more for sure and you heard him talk in that interview about how when he was a recruit he had to block out some classmates that thought he was making a wrong decision that's that's the that was the challenges that Colorado had with in-state recruiting now that they're ranked I think you can finally now all of a sudden it becomes easier to recruit those in-state kids it's such a fine line sometimes, you know, with perception. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kids always want to play for a program that is respected nationally, especially if they're from that state. Uh, you know, walking around campus with your CU gear or around Denver and stuff, there are times when people chirp at you, and it's the same thing for a recruit, you know. It's so yeah. much easier to, you know, make that decision when everybody around you is in love with what the program is doing. You have questions, and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. 
Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blank Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blank Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Black and Gold Josh asked, who's been the biggest surprise thus far? Um, the biggest surprise thus far, overall, would pro- I mean, Akella Witherspoon's got to be up there. What we saw in fall camp, um, we knew he was going to be improved, but he's had a long way to come. I mean, his sophomore year, he really struggled. He's really been locked down. Um, even in run support, he's stuck his head in there a couple times in recent games. We were talking about before the show, I don't think he's given up more than two or three completions the entire year. I mean, that's pretty impressive, especially considering pretty much no one throws at Cheeto anymore. So he's getting a lot of looks his direction. I would maybe go with Kenneth Olobode, and certainly he played a lot of football before the season, but I don't know if I saw him playing with this type of consistency. He's leading the team in tackles by, I think, by 14 or 17, by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, he's been pretty electric in all the games so far. He's the one guy that you can point to in every single game that's making an impact. Offensively, we we expected Devin Ross to play pretty well, but I think Mm -hmm. he might be the surprise guy there. Yeah, you knew in practice that he had the ability to do this kind of stuff. It was just a matter of whether or not his head would stay in the game in terms of catching the ball. He's dropped a few, but by and large, he's been terrific so far. a lot of tough catches, especially in the uh, red zone area. Uh, he's made big plays. He's He's been big. I mean, obviously Montez, too. We, we've been on the hype train as the conductor and assistant conductor, whatever that is, forever now. And, and Ryan he, Koenigsberg's been there right with us. Yeah, and even, yeah. And even he's impressed us even. So, I mean, yeah. to come in as quickly as he has and had the kind of impact has been huge. C.T. Buff asked, if Cepho isn't ready to go Saturday and Montez lights USC up and wins on the road, is Cepho still the starter? I'm not so sure. It definitely becomes more difficult if Steven Montez has an amazing performance. I just cannot envision a possibility where Cepho Lufau plays out his career here without getting a chance to get back out there and get his job back. This is, again, it it sends the wrong message to your football team that you're number six quarterback in the country in terms of passer rating, you get hurt and you don't get your job back. There's something, yeah. there's something wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it does send a interesting message to the team for sure. Um, he has been through enough and been the, the leader in so many battles for us. I think it would be completely unfair to him to not be able to get back out there and finish his career off the way he deserves. One thing I did hear is that Lindgren doesn't want to do a rotation. So that's kind of off the table. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. You don't really get into a rhythm, obviously, rotating. Kay Richard, who was actually up at practice uh, earlier today when all that stuff was going on, had this question. How are the coaches going to handle the quarterback situation? Montez is a more dynamic player, but Cepho is more poised. How does staff manage this dilemma to maximize results and minimize dissension? Um, and I think I think to do that, when it's clear that Cephalufa is 100%, you put him out there and you, and, you, and you roll with him. I think that's how you avoid it. Yeah, definitely. I think Montez has to remember he's a freshman. He's learned under Cepho for an, a long enough time now. He knows whose team this is. Cepho is a captain for a reason. He's got to understand that. Cepho is on his last leg, final, final mile of the marathon. Montez is just getting started. I mean, he's got plenty of time to have success here. I think even he would say that it would be a pretty storybook ending for Cepho to get his chance and bring this program to a bowl game in his last year. Yeah, especially following the Davis Webb saga. I, if Cepho leads his team to a bowl game or even better than that, I can't think of a better feel-good story since mm-hmm. I started covering this program, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. I agree. 
Call Me Coach B asked, why are so many posters on the board so flaky? <laughs> they went from calling for McIntyre's job before the season to thinking he's leaving in five weeks. They went from hating on Sefo even after a great performance in week one to saying the season was done without him. They're willing to crucify Montez after Michigan and now think he should be the starter. I just don't get it. I will say I think part of the thing here is that there can at times be a vocal minority that you kind of focus on because they stand out because they have yeah. interesting takes at times. Interesting, yes. I would agree. Um, I, would, I think the biggest thing is that they don't have a score on their report card. You know, the people can say whatever they want when they're in the shadows. And, you know what I mean? They, it doesn't matter if they say something really strong-worded because no one's going to look back at it three months later and be like, look at what you said. It's a little bit different for us or anybody else who's a little bit more in the spotlight in terms of covering the team because we have to be held responsible for those. You know, So it's, it's easy to say, oh, Montez sucks when you haven't watched him play. And then you could, as soon as he plays well, you can say he's got to play the rest of the year. And I think it's... You know, and it's and it's also just passionate fans. You know, it's as simple as that. Sometimes, like you, yeah, it's, I mean, in, fan is short for fanatic, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He in in the heat of the moment, I've been guilty of that plenty of times, saying something that maybe I believed, but in a way that made it a little more brash than necessary. So, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that you're always going to pay attention to the people who are being the loudest, vocal minority or not. So that sticks in your mind a little bit more. I I, would, I, I don't think as many of them are the same people. You know what I mean? Like. The people who are Montez supporters are now much louder, while before the people who are the Montez attractors are much much louder, and you're just kind of combining the whole board into that thought process. It feels weird for me, though. And Tyler, I told you this, just being such a proponent of Montez and his potential, yeah. and now all of a sudden I'm telling people to pump their brakes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it just, is interesting. It, yeah. JG Buffs asked, well, actually, he had a little bit of a statement here. Let me revise my question from last week since Tyler got a little salty. You got a little salty there, Tyler. Yeah, it wasn't directed at you, though. It's just in general. Anyways, he went on to say, I may have worded it wrong, so it's probably my fault. Now that CU is off to such a good start, what would you change your preseason record guess to? If I remember correctly, you both had them going 5-7, and seven, and obviously they don't think that now. So what would your new guess be? We we did that last week. Yeah. We said seven or eight wins. Yeah, seven or eight. And I think that's probably where I still sit today. Oregon State didn't do a whole lot to change my thought process. If we win this game, I think eight is starting to look like the minimum. So we'll see how that USC game goes. But, yeah, I mean, I just mean in general. And it wasn't really directed as being salty towards you. It's just, you know, we have... We have people hanging on every word that we say sometimes in fall camp, and you, you can't predict 9-3 and three yeah. if that's not really what you feel, just because just cause you want to. If I remember so. right, your your response to that question started, well, listen here. Yeah. Love <laughs> yeah. it. Sounds right. All right. JDub925 asked, we knew we had some solid depth coming into the year, but how surprised are you that only four freshmen have played? Unless I'm mistaken, I've only seen Bo Bisharat, Johnny Huntley, Tony Julmese, and Davis Price. Many had thought others like Eudophia, Blackman, Maka, and Jones would see the field as well. If I remember right, I made the prediction that four freshmen were going to play, but of course none of us thought Davis Price was going to be one of those four. Yeah, We thought um, uh, maybe one of the cornerbacks just because of depth yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Blackman I think was the one that ended up being the most likely guy there. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, as we got closer to the year, it became pretty apparent we weren't going to see a whole lot of people play. I, I will say this, I think that Blackman and Akil Jones not playing this year tells you how confident the staff is 
and the guys you already have on the team. In previous years, those kids, both of those two would have definitely uh, played. Uh, Huntley, same thing. I mean, would have played a ton of snaps in previous years, and he's pretty much a special teams guy right now for the most part. Uh, got dinged up, had a concussion, and I wanted, it was the Oregon State game, right, that he got concussed. He probably would have had some more snaps there. So uh, I still think he'll be a really important piece for us as a junior and senior. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's – there's a lot of talent, a lot of seniors. I mean, this is another thing. You have an older team. You don't need to play those freshmen as much, finally. He mentioned Pookie Muck. I you definitely saw his first practice at CU that he wasn't yeah. big enough to play. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting. He's going to go on that mission and maybe mature. That might be a good thing for him. Um, but certainly Jim love, loves that guy. So Dune in 1980R wanted to know what's up with Donovan Lee. He asked, has Kyle Evans surpassed him on the depth chart? Yes, Kyle Evans has definitely surpassed him on the depth chart. Yeah. It's a good question, though. Donovan Lee, you talk about disappointments, is probably at the top, oh, he's the top up of the list. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely up there. Uh, I think it's as simple as he's been really struggling in pass protection. Kyle Evans and Philip Lindsay have been really comfortable in that role so far. I've watched on tape Donovan Lee whiff quite a few times in uh, crucial moments there, and he just hasn't really had the burst running game. I mean, we watched, I, at the end of the Oregon State game, he had – Three or four of his runs were tackle for loss or tackle at the line of scrimmage. He's just not getting through anything right now. And I think he's he's really earned his way into that third spot. Uh, he just hasn't been as productive as we were expecting. And I do like that they're, by and large, going with the two-man rotation mm-hmm. running back. Yeah. In, in previous years under McIntyre, they would sometimes go three deep consistently through a game, and it never seemed like any of those backs got any type of rhythm. Yeah. Catnip lover, 420. <laughs> Interesting username. Yeah. What happened to Lee Walker? I feel like we haven't seen him on the field this year, even when the backups are in. What year is he? Will he see the field in the future? I'm pretty sure he's a retro sophomore. I'll double check. Yeah, that sounds right it's to me as well. And he's been hurt. I mean, I think that's just as big of a impact on his playing time as anything right now. He's been coming back from injury. He's been hurt. Um, and our, I mean, look at our wide receiver core. I mean, it's as simple as that. We've got three absolute studs plus Jay McIntyre in the slot. Uh, there's just not a lot of playing time available there. But he's still got some time to figure it out. Uh, next year, again, it's going to be really tough because we have everybody back plus Juwan Winfrey and three four-stars coming in. So we'll see what we'll see uh, how that works out for him. Um, he's a speedy guy, but, I mean, just not someone I think at this point that you can expect to play a ton of snaps based on yeah. who we have at the position. JW925 asked, can you talk about Addison Gillum's progress this season? He appears to be getting more snaps every week. He's definitely improved week to week. Uh, for sure. Uh, his snaps have got, haven't even gone up as much as I think people would have said because he's been so productive in those limited snaps. Um, 19 against Oregon, or 16, 16 against 17 Oregon. 17 against, he had six tackles and 17 snaps okay. against Oregon, and, and he 30, played 30 snaps in this last game. And had seven tackles. So, I mean, his tackles per snap are yep. extremely good right now. Um, so I would assume that he'll continue to play well. I, I thought he looked really good in the last two games, so... Really he's, good. He's not. He's not quite back to that oh, no, freshman no. level. Yeah, of no, he's he's not. But he's he's improving. He looked a little lost in the first couple games of the year. He's starting to get comfortable again for sure. So I think you'll see him to con- continue to get more and more snaps, which is great. I mean, I'm happy for him. I, I would like to see him get back and be productive and healthy. That'd be awesome. One of my bold predictions was he's going to lead the team in tackles. Yeah. I was I was off there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not going to lead the team in tackles. <laughs> Zandami, hope I pronounced that right, asked, what are the odds that Jim Levitt is gone after this year? How do we get him to stay? I think the odds are pretty good that he's gone after this year. I think 
Really? People, people are taking notice of Colorado, and I know he's almost 60 years old, but he is a, a really young 60. He's got two young kids at home and, of course, has more energy than most people in their 30s do. Yeah, there's um, no doubt about that. I think there's a good chance that he gets hired away. If that happened, I would expect Tumpkin to get promoted to mm. defense coordinator. In terms of what do you do to get him to stay, I mean, if he's got head coaching opportunity out there, it's going to be close yeah. to impossible to keep him to stay. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I'm not sure he wants to be a head coach at this really small school. Um, it would have to be a pretty big opportunity. And given his past and his age, I don't know how many of those opportunities he'll have. I mean, it's definitely a possibility for sure. But I guess we'll just have to see how the – I mean, if we go 8-4, and 9-3, and three, I think the potential goes up quite a bit. I mean, if you see us at 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, there's still probably um, more than 50% chance that he stays, in my opinion. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes, but he, he's definitely done a number on our defense. But I don't know. I, I guess I'd be a little surprised overall at this point if he's not back. Okay. I mean, even to play devil's advocate against myself, I do know that Jim Levitt – Loves Boulder, and he likes his role. After practice ends, he bolts right up to his office to start you know, doing film work. I don't think he necessarily wants to spend a ton of time around the media, which as a head coach becomes yeah. such a big part of your job. So maybe that would be something that could convince him to stay in Boulder. Yeah, and I don't think he would leave for another defensive coordinator position. That would, I mean, it would have to be like Alabama or something huge like that. It would definitely be sad to see Jim Levitt leave, though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's fun for us. And obviously, he's had a huge impact on the program in a short period of time as well. Yeah. The Real Mizzou buff had this to say. Can you go into your thoughts on the offensive line this season? The play has clearly improved. How much impact is due to the coaching change? Or is it just ta- improved talent with Irwin back, Lenat Coe's development? Also, the tight end fullback position hasn't received many targets this year in the passing game. To my untrained eye, they've performed very well outside of Frazier at Michigan on special teams in the blocking game. Am I just seeing things? Well, let's tackle the offensive line first. Um, Obviously, a big improvement, and some of that does come to not only getting guys back, but having them develop. But I certainly think Clayton Adams has done a good job with that group. And I go back to the Hawaii game last year. They were healthy at that point. And yeah, they had some young guys in there, but the fact they didn't adjust to those stunts that Hawaii was running in that game at some point in that game was raised a really big red flag. We haven't seen any really big red flag in terms of this offensive line under Adams' direction so far. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they've been pretty steady throughout, which is exactly what you want. I think Adams has a lot to do with it, but Timmy Lenat's pretty talented, and Jeremy Irwin is too. I think having those two, two of the five guys back in there that you can really rely on um, helps a lot for sure. Um, Alex Kelly, obviously senior at this point, is really comfortable in his role as well. And Co struggled more than we expected last year, so I think he's the best um, evidence for. Well, what about Adams, Aaron Hagler uh, getting Adams a 270 pound offense tackle? The technique necessary to play at the Pac-12 mm-hmm. level, and he's play, he's held his own out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's looked great. I think I, I, you know, obviously Adams is a big part of it too. I just think talent is a part of it as well. I would say it's kind of a 50-50 somewhere. There's, there's not a whole, one way or the other, I would say, a huge impact, but just the combination of the two. Obviously, you have to feel pretty good about the line moving forward with Kelly being the only guy scheduled to leave. What, what are your thoughts on in terms of the tight ends and fullbacks and their blocking? It seems like they've done pretty well there. Yeah, I mean, but we kind of expected that, obviously, with Sean Irwin's really, uh, really good blocker. 
Uh, Frazier's missed a couple, including the pump block in Michigan, but he talked about that a little bit. Uh, Frazier overall has been a disappointment. From a blocking perspective, though, he's looked good. A lot of lot of lead fullback touchdown runs uh, with Philip Lindsay following him, I remember, in that Oregon State game. So he definitely had a nice job in that game in terms of blocking. We had a Dylan Keeney sighting in the Oregon State game. I was kind of happy about that. Yeah. He's been blocking a little bit, too, yeah. uh, with everyone out. So he's pretty quickly, honestly, he's gained a good amount of mass. He definitely looks more like a tight end than a basketball player than in previous years. Ryan J112111 had this to say. Adam and Tyler, just wanted to thank you for your hard work. I am a Denver native and a 2002 graduate who grew up with the Buffs. I still remember watching the Orange Bowl in my parents' basement on New Year's Day night, 1991, begging my parents to let me stay up. I relocated to Chicago in 2003 to start my career, and in those days, I would have to listen to KOA on my computer to listen to games that were not broadcasted. I make it back to two games each year, and I still bleed black and gold. I joined Rivals in 2007, and the coverage was great. However, what you guys have done over the past three, four years with podcast, Twitter, etc., truly makes me feel like I am living in Denver and plugged into what is going on at Dell Ward. So for all of this, I sincerely thank you, and it brightens my day. Well, that's very nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. We need we need more messages like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boost our egos. <laughs> he has a question here. He uh, says, it seems as if the rotation of the D-line has slowed in conference play. I do not have data to support this, but it feels as if the front three on the defensive line play 80% of, of the snaps. Those guys have been great. Is the lack of trust in the guys backing up? Or have these three been this good? I'm worried they might wear down as the season goes along. Your thoughts? Uh, so we looked it up for you. So we have the stats. I will say, start off, do I think it's more lack of trust or do I think they're that good? They're definitely that good. This is the best front three Colorado has had in quite some time. Um, all three will get NFL looks. Not going to guarantee draft picks. But it's been a long time since we've had an entire D-line um, at least get some NFL scouts taking its uh Taking a look at him, especially Tupo. Uh, he's been huge coming back, just really plugging the hole for us. So here are the stats for you. Um, Jordan Carroll has played 68.2% of the snaps for the entire year so far, 228 out of 334. Um, Samson Kafavalu has played 61.4%, and Josh Tupo has played 56%. Now, obviously, those are helped out by the fact that we destroyed CSU, we destroyed Idaho State, and we destroyed Oregon State. So they got out of the game early. So that has something to do with it. So I threw out second stats. Um, Oregon is the game that everybody played the highest percentage of snaps. So for this, for that game, Jordan Carroll, you're right, played almost the entire game. 75 out of 78 snaps for 96%. Um, Samson Kakavalu, though, 51 out of 78 snaps, 65.4%. And Josh Tupo, 59 out of 78, 75.6%. So a little bit more in line with what you would have thought. Um, Leo Jackson has played 33.5% of the snaps on the year. So he's been in there for a, a good portion, and he played 37.2% of the snaps against Oregon. So it's a little bit, I would say it's been more of a four-man rotation right now. Obviously with Carroll playing a majority of the snaps, whether inside or outside. Um, Tim Coleman... Additionally, has played 20.7% of snaps on the year. Uh, he did not play in the Oregon game, though, which is why you see Carroll's number so high. Um, and Jace Frankie has also played 40 of the 334 snaps, or 12%. Uh, he only played 3.8% of the snaps in Oregon. So those, those are the six that you've seen the most of. They definitely use the three 
a good majority of the time, but it is not quite that 80% figure. Um, so I think Leo is the one guy that has getting getting a healthy number of snaps as well. Uh, and as the season goes on, you would definitely like to see uh, a little bit more of a rotation amongst those four. Jordan Carroll can't play 96% of every, yeah. of every game. Well, it, it certainly helps when you're getting a lot of three and outs mm-hmm. and you're not on the field a lot defensively. And then Colorado, even despite going up tempo, they right now they rank third in the conference in time of possession. So that kind of helps a little bit. I, I do think in, in closer games, um, you're going to have to see more of a, a deeper rotation. It shocks me that Carroll played that many snacks, uh, snaps at Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely is a huge number that you can't see throughout the entire year. Uh, but they've done a good job, obviously, limiting those guys in the blowouts. All three under, well under 70%, um, most of them right around 60%. So, I mean, that's that's a number that they should be pretty healthy um, and fresh. When I think about the D-line and how well they're doing that, I sometimes think about, about uh, back to May of uh, 2015 when the news comes out that Josh Tupo suspended and everyone, it was, that was like a sky is falling yeah. moment. Yeah. And it just so worked out well. Can you imagine how, I mean, that makes a huge difference on this defense. They're mm-hmm. going to be still pretty darn good this year, but not playing at the level they are this year if there's some under, you know underclassman nose tackle in there. Yeah, I mean, you probably would have to throw Carroll in that nose and, probably. Play, and play Leo outside. Um, so maybe not as big of a drop, but definitely a drop. Uh, for sure, and especially in terms of overall snaps, because Carroll is going to get obviously a little more tired getting those double and triple teams at two postseas. Buff Predictor had a question here. Drew Lewis showed a nice burst of speed off the edge getting a sack in the fourth. How far off is he from getting in the rotation? He's a Kenneth Olobode injury from being a starter. Oh, uh, yeah, so I, I guess it depends on. If you think that's far or not, I would say not at all. He's a guy that's going to play a ton for this team next year. Uh, Akil Jones is a guy that I loved in fall camp as well, and I would expect him to be a guy you see getting snaps next year as well. NJ Fowler coming back, we'll see has, how it, he continues to develop and get a little, uh, few more snaps. But uh, Next year's linebackers, I still have some semblance of confidence that I think we can have a pretty solid group there, despite Oleg Bode being by far our best linebacker this year. All right, Buff Predictor had another question, and shout out to his dog, Sanders. Awesome. Black Lab, good dog. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A dreaded Michael Adkins question. Is the staff just working him in garbage time, or do they want to get him going for a long stretch run? I think they're just working him in garbage time. Uh, I would say it's kind of in between. I don't think they're looking to make him a rotation piece ahead of Kyle Evans or Philip Lindsay. But I do think they want him to be ready enough that if one of those guys gets banged up, he can move into that second rotation piece. I, I do think that... Don't you think Donovan Lee would still be ahead of him? I, I honestly think they'll move Atkins up Okay. if if one of those guys gets hurt. Kev Buff asked, over under 10,000 CU fans attending the USC game. Sounds about right. I guess I'll say over. If there's ever a time to say over, it'd be now. And Buff Nation's about as hyped as it's ever been. There's been a lot of CU fans at that game in the past when I've been there, so I'll say over. What would be your guesstimate in terms of past games you've gone out there? Oh, man, it's hard to say because the stadium is so yeah. big. But I would say it was over five for sure, maybe okay. like six or seven. So you would think it'd be possible to get over 10,000 just based on the hype of the program right now. OC Buff Freak asked, USC has quietly gained confidence the past few weeks and is still loaded with talent at the skill positions. What's the key, in your opinion, to stopping that offense? The key for me is that they got to stop the run game because you always want to rely. Again, I'll, I'll probably say this 10 times this year. 
I trusted Kelly Witherspoon, Isaiah Oliver, Cheeto, Tedrick, Afalabi Laguda, Ryan Muller, whoever's back there. You trust those matchups against whoever we play. Um, if someone can beat our secondary to win a football game, you tip your cap. Uh, we have to make sure that they aren't moving the ball successfully on the ground, especially with Justin Davis. He's a total beast. They haven't used him nearly enough this year. Um, you trust your chances with our secondary against their wideouts and a freshman quarterback. You have to. Dorn09. Uh, he was asking about the, there's some predictions for a KD Nixon commitment on uh, in mid-October. He asked, have you heard anything regarding this pending commitment? What are your thoughts about taking a fourth wide receiver when all our wide receivers are returning? Uh, I don't know if those predictions are necessarily that KD Nixon's going to commit to the Buffs that weekend, but there's just a lot of people think that CU's kind of trending well with him. Uh, all those DeSoto kids, I know LaVisca Chenault's the only one that's actually committed, but a lot of those guys, Xavier Newman's still kind of receptive to CU. Um, in terms of our thoughts on yeah. taking a fourth receiver, Katie Nixon's a guy is more of an athlete type. Yeah, I'm, we talked about this yesterday, actually. I was texting you about your, my, your thoughts on Katie Nixon. He's real stocky. Uh, there's a pretty good chance that he ends up on defense, in my opinion, or could be in that slot receiver role, which would be a little bit of a different uh, than any of the receivers that we have right now. I think there's a lot of places that he could end up playing. We'll see how it shakes out, but, I mean, you take that type of talent no matter what, and you figure it out when he gets here. And you got to factor in the fact that now you're playing with four receivers out there a lot, right? In the past, yeah. you recruited for a three-receiver system, so there's an extra guy out there on the field. Um, we've talked about some guys like Lee Walker and Justin Jan that are starting I'm not, I don't want to completely write them off, but they're starting to look like dead weight on this roster. Um, so there's it, there's no one really to fill that Jay McIntyre role, honestly, right? I mean, amongst the young guys, especially with Drew Misi looking likely to play defense, I mean, he, he's the most natural fit into that space, in, yeah. my, in my opinion. Yeah. More DM21 asked, have your predictions on when or if buffs will be drafted changed from prior to this season? If so, who specifically has made the biggest jump? Do you have any concerns for anyone leaving early? I don't have any concerns for anyone leaving early. Um, Shea and Devin Ross have been super productive, but don't really have NFL body types at this point. I mean, I, obviously Devin's stacked, but he's pretty tiny. It'd be hard to convince him to leave early, I think. Um, Jeremy Irwin, there's a little talk about that. I don't think he's been good enough to really worry about that at this point. Um, the one who's moved up the most for me is Akella Witherspoon. Uh, a guy that I would not have even considered as an NFL prospect at all, and I think he'll be considered now. He's going to get thrown around like a rag doll, though, at that level. There's time. I like your Keller Witherspoon. I don't want to have that opinion, but I don't see him <laughs> playing NFL football. I said similar things about Kenneth Crawley, though, so there's that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who's, who's the one that's moved up the most for you? I think... Josh Tupo, just we didn't quite know what to expect from a rust standpoint, him mm -hmm. coming back. But I think he went from being a late guy to maybe more of a mid-round guy. Yes, yeah, so you feel the most confident that he's going to get drafted right now outside of Cheeto. Yes, that's probably fair. And I think we always kind of had the expectation that he would go if he came back and played. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's definitely moved himself up there. He's a force to be reckoned with on the inside, and he's a little bit quicker than he gets credit for as well. So I think I think he's proven to be an NFL guy. Uh, I could see him being being more of a mid round. I could see Samson Kafavalo maybe going from a definite free agent to maybe a last couple round pick now too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody on the defense has moved their way up a bit. 
yeah, I mean, Cheeto obviously was always considered to be a pretty high pick. I think he's pretty close to being a first-rounder at this point. I know a couple of mock drafts have had him at 32. Uh, so everybody's moved up to some degree. I mean, there's seven guys who I think NFL scouts are going to have notes on. I don't think all seven are going to go, but uh, that's way more than <laughs> you would have said last year. I've definitely seen a lot of scouts walking out of practice. Yeah, more, more so yeah, than I got, in recent years. I got a couple texts the other day about Brown scouts being there. So I was like, oh, God, I hope everyone performs badly for the <laughs> Brown scouts. I don't want to ruin anyone's career. <laughs> more DM had another question, uh, this one about basketball. I know practice just started, but do you sense any changes with Dom Collier? Do you have any insight into how he, he is regarded by his teammates? I know he isn't a vocal, vocal kid, but I wonder if everyone buys in with him being the captain of the ship this year. It's, he's not a bad locker room guy, but he's more so just super, super, super quiet. Yeah, I mean, just based on social cues, I guess, of the team, he's not the most loved kid on the team, I guess I would say. I think there are some closer relationships than what he has, but I don't think he's an Eskia Booker that everyone is kind of like shying away from, and there's like, like a weird cancer involved there either. I don't know if I would describe him as the captain of the ship either. There's going to be, I mean, he is playing point guard, so I see what you're saying there, but there's going to be some bigger leadership guys on the team than Dom Collier this year. If you could just put Dom Collier's shooting ability with Akizili's ability to push the pace yeah, and Bryce Peters' and tenacity defensively, that'd be quite a point guard. Yeah, they, they've, got the, they've got the tools at point guard, they're just not in the same yeah, play. Yeah, I think, I think if Dom really just realizes what he is and becomes a pass-first, pretty good defender... Um, doesn't try to finish in the lane as much as he has been, I think he could be a really steady piece for this team. If he just gets gets into the right spaces in the lane and creates for others, I think he has a chance to be pretty solid. By the way, Bryce Peters was, was made for Boulder. Saw him uh, <laughs> skateboarding on campus. He had his tunes. He was dancing around on a skateboard with it, with that. What, what would you even call his haircut? What is that? That's very Odell Beckham-y kind of. <laughs> He seems to be he's fun, loving man. it, though. Yeah, I think I think he's enjoying himself. Uh, we'll see how. I don't know. I'm not convinced he'll play a ton this year, though. I think the fact that he is is kind of a defensive minded player is what's going to get him into the rotation. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily quite yet there offensively. Yeah. But again, we didn't. We haven't seen a ton of this team, obviously yet. Shy in the buff had this to say: with all the football craze, boils. Well, securing his best recruiting class at CU and basketball starting up isn't a big conversation topic on the board. Who do you think will be the captains this year with so many seniors? Any, anyone jump out as having a king-like offseason? How have the freshmen looked early on? It was crazy. I put up some video stuff from the first practice, and no one commented at all. <laughs> People are all focused on football right now. That's such a disaster. Come on, man. Basketball is a fun sport, too, everybody. Help me out here. Buff Stampede Board needs more basketball love. Um, as far as the questions go, they do two captains in basketball now? Is that true? I think it varies. I don't think However many a, they want. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. It's, West, never, it's never really made a big deal in basketball yeah. because everyone has – you have to have that chemistry across the board. It's yeah. usually one yeah, or two such guys. A, yeah, exactly. It's such a more – you're not playing offense and defense. You know, you play both sides. So it's more of a total team camaraderie type thing. It'd be hard to say Wes is going to be the captain. He's just no, so quiet. No. Um, Derek White, maybe. I mean, he's new to the team, so it's hard to really get a read on how that's going to work out. I don't know. It's going to be <laughs> interesting to see who they decide. But I mean, it's probably XJ. 
he's definitely a vocal, emotional leader. I will say he was really good uh, in this interview we're going to play later. Um, he had a little smile on his face. He seems to have the right mindset going into this year. He seems to be ready to go off on the right foot. Sometimes you see that with guys. We saw it with Sefo is that, yeah, you never want to have to rehab you know, a major injury, but playing in games and, and being active is such a mental grind. Sometimes being able to take a step back from that can give you a different perspective. Maybe we'll see that with XJ. I'd like to see it when times get tough that he's a guy that brings the team together instead mm-hmm. of pouting out on the court. Right. That would be a, a good sign. Yeah, that'd be huge for the team in general. Uh, King-like offseason, do you have anybody that... Well, that was pretty rare for a guy right. to improve as much as George King did. Um, so I would, I wouldn't put any expectations on that. Yeah, I mean, there's just I think it was kind of slight appro- slight improvement. Uh, you look at Tory Miller; he's gotten even in better shape. Yeah, Wesley Gordon. You look at his shoulders now; he's put on some good bulk there. Thomas Akizili, um, I, th- I think his shooting's maybe better, but we'll have to see in games. Fresh tat, fresh, yeah, new tattoo. Completing the. Full transformation into Nate Tomlinson too, which I respect. <laughs> yeah. um, the one guy that I was going to say is Tory. He's in phenomenal shape, and they're going to need him to be uh, a bigger impact on the team this year. So it's not going to be anything like George King. So don't. I agree with you. Don't set those expectations. But I do think he has the best opportunity to have a bigger impact on this ball club next year. Um, how have the freshmen looked early on? We've only seen one practice. I think Lucas Seward is the guy that's going to play a ton of minutes out of that group. Can really shoot the ball. Looks really comfortable. He's actually a much wider frame than I expected. I think he can be capable on the blocks as well. And as a maybe 12 to 18 foot jump shooter. Um, defensively, he needs some work. Bryce Peters, we've talked about already. Defensive minded guy. Really athletic, but not the best shooter at this point. Um, Dallas Walton defensively has looked really comfortable shockingly Uh, he moves a lot better than I expected coming off two ACLs and he is a legitimate seven footer but in terms of getting the playbook and just being ready for this level he's swimming a little bit Tad mentioned that a couple times in interviews I expect him to redshirt as long as Gordon and Miller stay healthy that's the plan yeah but it's it's good it was great sign this is not a wasted scholarship situation yeah no it does not appear that way at all um DeLeon Brown I'm going to say something that's going to probably make people tell me to calm down but he reminds me a lot of Delonte West very similar type of game um, really crafty as a lefty really smooth jumper um, it, just pay attention when you watch him warm up or practice or however you get to see him he's not going to be as productive I don't think at the college level but they have really similar mannerisms and uh, he's, he's like one of those shorter guards but he's really lanky it's hard to really He's just got such a long wingspan. I think he's going to be um, in a plus defender at some point. And uh, if he puts on some good weight, I think he could be a really solid junior and senior player for us. We got a defensive line question from D.L. Buff, and it was pretty much exactly what we had gone in-depth on uh, during last week's show. So if you want to maybe kind of go, I would think it would be somewhere around the middle of last week's show. We talked about all the guys that are coming back on the D-line, the guys that they're recruiting. So we went pretty in-depth on that already. 6635 BAM is the last fan with a question in, in this week's mailbag. He asked, with maybe 10 to 12 spots available left in this class, who do you think our most realistic tar- targets still are? Who is going to visit Boulder after the, uh, during the season that isn't already committed? Are any prospects close to making a commitment? Any prospects we are not already uh, aware of? Um, so they're bringing out the, some of the DeSoto guys, Nixon, Chenault, 
Uh, we expect maybe Xavier Newman to come out for the ASU game. Dimitri Moore, outside yeah, linebacker. Yeah, he's said he's coming out for that weekend as well. So those are some guys. Trey Schumann is a defensive lineman that's a little underrated from California that's tentatively visit, uh, scheduled to visit in December. Of course, you got to keep following Greg Rogers' situation. Uh, he's going to decide in early December. You've uh, seen them start to slow play a few guys that were maybe targets in the summer because of the success they've had, and I think this is a, a pretty good strategy. It seems like in the past, there are after these coaching changes, there's recruits that you have a chance at that it didn't look like. Wait a year, yeah. Yeah, that, that you have a chance at. You don't want to be completely filled up. Um, so I think that'll be a good thing uh, to have some of those open spots. And it's a good thing. And there will definitely be a, a lot of guys we don't we aren't aware of right now that yeah. will be coming in the fold. You'll start really start to see that happen uh, early December when these official visits start getting scheduled. Yeah, I'm curious to see if we start getting guys from Southeast. We haven't seen a whole lot of the Georgia, Florida, that area of the country so far this year. Um, so I'm curious to see if maybe some of those names will start popping up as guys who might take visits uh, in the coming weeks here. So see if Jim Levitt can get his hat into the old recruiting ring. Yeah. All right. Kyler, you know what time it is. Pac-12 Power Rankings. All right, so this year, this week is a mess. Can we all just agree that? <laughs> Once we get like past the top two, you could go a million different ways with this, um, except for 12. Sorry, Oregon State. Until, until you prove to me that you can beat somebody there. They're probably there for the rest of the year at this point. Um, I have Arizona at 11, 0-2 in league as well. They've got a tough schedule upcoming. They could be in for a... Rough year overall, it looks like. Ten is Oregon. Cougars is, are making a making a little climb here. Is, yeah, not much though. Okay. <laughs> Ten is Oregon. Um, their defense is suspect. Um, you know they've had the game against us hurts them. The Washington State road game. I mean road games are always tough. So I don't know. We'll see. They they have the problem is they have Washington at home this week, so they could be in for a tumble here pretty early okay. early on in the season. I have Washington State at nine. They finally beat a team that we've heard of before, so that's a good that's a good start to the year for them, I guess. Not everyone's convinced that they're really legit. I think it's more of Oregon is just kind of reeling more than anything. I was right a little now. surprised by that. I thought that game was going to go the other way. Yeah, um, and then it's just a jumbled mess. You could do this a million ways from here. Um, I have Utah 8, which is probably low, but um, I don't really know just based on how it's worked out you have you have to like make these nitpicky decisions one way or the other i'm gonna have cal at seven who just beat them so you know you have to at least have them behind them at this point i have arizona state at six four and one but again you know they got smashed this week you could have argued that they could have been lower for sure but again they already have a win over cal who they're ahead of so (laughs) you're starting to get into this jumbled mixture of there's a bunch of really mediocre teams I have USC at five. It's a huge jump. I mean, they looked great last week, but again, are you, can you realistically put them behind any of these other teams? I guess Utah you could because they beat them, but they really kind of blew that game on the road, so I don't really know about that there. UCLA I have at four. Uh, weirdly, more one of the more consistent teams, <laughs> I guess, at this point, despite the total of losses that they have. Um, I still have Stanford three. They got blown out, but I think people are forgetting the fact that they've now played USC, UCLA, and now Washington in consecutive weeks. 
They were pretty and, decimated with injuries too. In yeah, the no, no cornerbacks. Um, so they looked really bad, but at the same time, you look at these teams that are below them, it's hard to really drop them too much farther, in my opinion. Colorado, number two. I had them a week early, as people may remember. Everyone was pissed that I had them two last week. Now ESPN, Who was angry about that? ESPN. I had a few text messages like, come on, bro. I had, uh, But they are number two on ESPN this week as well. So, You, you right. feel vindicate, vindicated. I do, vindicated. And, of course, Washington. I've, I've refused to put you number one. You certainly earned the spot this week. That was one hell of a performance against Stanford. Their defense looks really, really impressive. And they got the one of the easier draws in terms of scheduling yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, clearly in the driver's seat for that. Pac-12 Definitely a chance now. to go undefeated. Yeah. Is Chris Peterson the best coach in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Probably hard to argue against that, right? Yeah, you'd definitely be hard-pressed to convince me it's anybody else at this point. It's been extremely successful everywhere he's gone. That defense is absolutely disgusting. I mean, they always, they always have a good defense, but this year's group, that was an impressive performance. I mean, they made Christian McCaffrey look human, which is the most impressive thing I'll probably see all year. <laughs> Let's do a little uh, men's basketball talk. We did a little bit during the mailbag, uh, but Tyler, just kind of share what, what you perceive to be uh, this team's strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, a lot of the preseason left to go here, but uh, I think we have a pretty good idea of the strength, and, and uh, that's the team's depth without question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is going to be the deepest rotation we've had in a while. There are probably nine guys that you could really trust to get out there and be um, to provide you quality minutes. Um, yeah, I just think not only just the depth, but just it's a well-balanced group is what I guess I would, I would say. Um, there are a lot of matchups you or a lot of lineups you could put out on the floor that will work well together. Uh, a lot of versatility. Uh, they're going to be able to, especially with George King and Xavier Johnson playing together, they're going to be able to create a lot of mismatches in that 3-4 range. You're going to have a big man guarding one of the two. You're going to kill him outside with either of those guys. You're going to have a small guy guarding one of those two. You're going to be able to take him inside with both of those guys. I really think that that, little combination right there is going to be what separates us from a lot of teams this year. Weaknesses, I think I know where you're headed here as well. Point guard play. I love Akuzili, but I'm not sure he's ready to really be the team uh, go-to point guard at this point. He's still got some things to learn, and he struggles a little bit shooting the ball. Until we see that change, I don't really think they'll be able to make the change to him starting over Dom. Dom is limited in his own right athletically, does not finish well over contact. Um, just isn't as much of an athlete as we were kind of looking forward to. Uh, that's the only major concern about the team overall to me is usually college basketball goes as your guard play goes. I think Derek White will see a lot more ball handling duties this year. I think him replacing Josh Fortune as that second ball handler and Xavier Talton is a huge improvement over last year's team. Uh, really talented player who's capable in that spot. Um, so to me, it's going to be him that determines how far this team goes. I'd also add there you have a little concerned about their depth in terms of big men. If yeah. Wesley Gordon or Tory Miller get hurt, all of a sudden that's mm. kind of a scary proposition. Yeah, for this team. even if they don't, they're going to be short. Uh, a lot of college basketball teams are short these days, though, so they can survive that. I think Tory's really good athlete. Wes is a pretty good athlete, really lanky in his own right, despite being a little bit shorter. But yeah, they're definitely some of the against those Arizonas and UCLA's of the world that have multiple seven footers. There's definitely going to be some matchup issues there. You said on our last show you feel like this is going to be Tad Boyle's best team. Is that a foregone conclusion? I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, I would say on a scale of one to ten here, as as you asked in the question, I have it as a seven. Um, so I feel pretty confident about it. But there's always things that can go wrong. I mean, guys get hurt. 
Um, the point guard play doesn't improve enough that it really takes him to the next level. Um, I still, to this day, I say Tad Boyle's best team is the team that didn't make the tournament in his first year. Uh, that's the one that I had the most. I think if they had gone, they had, could have made some real damage in the tournament. So, uh, to me, last year's group was pretty close to that as well. If you had Xavier Johnson on that group, I probably would have said that was the best team ever. Not having him and Josh together as seniors hurt a little bit. But to me, I think it, I have them. I'm predicting them to win the most games I have ever this year. If that tells you what my thoughts are on the team, I won't tell you what it is yet. But uh, yeah, I think they're going to be pretty good. Xavier Johnson's looking pretty healthy. Yeah, he looks great. Um, not only does he look healthy, he looks mentally ready as well. And that's the biggest thing with him always is how comfortable is he going to be out on the floor in terms of being a leader. Uh, he's always been a when things are going well, he really can turn it up a notch and really put a team away with his energy. Uh, but when things are going poorly, sometimes he hurts the team as well. I think that's going to be the biggest step for him this year is to be that vocal leader and a guy that can help turn a turn a bad run around rather than put a team away at yeah. all. Yeah, I don't think there's been a player in the Boyle era that's been better at building energy in the Coors mm-hmm. Event Center. When, he, Definitely. when he's on, he can get that crowd going. Here's that interview I had with him following a recent practice. It's good to see you out there running around, Xavier. What, what does it feel like to be back out there? It feels good, you know. It's, it's a blessing to be able to come out here and run again and play with my teammates, and I'm taking every day as an opportunity to get better. When did you feel like you were 100%? Or is that still um, something that you're working towards? I think I'm still working towards it. I think I'm... See, for me, like, there's always room for improvement, you know? So, if I'm, like, if I said 100%, my foot's 100%, yes, but as far as my game, I can always get better and better, you know? So I'm going to keep working on that and keep improving and just keep grinding. Was there a, t- a time when maybe you stopped thinking about it when you were on the court? Um, I haven't thought about it at all. Every time I play, I just I just focus on playing and playing my heart out. If it happens, it tears again, it tears again. But I, if you think about it, that's when you become you, you become hesitant and you don't you become scared to play. When you become scared to play, that's when you're more prone to injury and you don't play hard and you miss you miss defense assignments and stuff like that. So everything will build into that. But if you just go out there and just don't worry about it and just play your game and hoop, you're all right. What was the, the hardest part of the recovery process for you? Rehab. Rehab and, and strengthening my calf back up. But, but but rehab was painful, you know, going through that every day, with, working with Ted out of the Champion Center, um, just getting my calf strong again and just getting, getting better. Are you the, the same player you were before? Is there anything maybe that will be different about your game this season? Um, a lot more aggressive, um, a lot more smart, a lot more aggressive, um, less turnovers. Just a just a smarter player, you know. Trying to just focus on the little things and just win, 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 win. Leadership role is that increased now that you're you're a senior? Oh, definitely, and, and it's helped. It's helped for me being out, you know, being able to see see things from from a bench perspective or a coaching perspective, being able to uh, understand what they see out there as far as players. So I've been able to use that and and help my teammates to get better as well. With Josh Scott leaving, obviously he was a leader for this team. Is it? Uh, is there a committee of guys that have kind of filled in that void? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a committee. Um, I'm a pretty strong voice because I just talk a lot and I'm a loud person. So. Um, yeah, but there's always the committee. There's always the committee. Even even if there's one leader out there, there's always the committee of people that can help help that one leader. So, 
hopefully it's going good. Tad Boyle obviously talked after the first practice about there being a lot of work that needs to be put in uh, before oh, yeah. the first game, but it seems like this could be a pretty pretty deep basketball team. This oh, definitely, yeah. We have a lot of rotations. We have a lot of a lot of players who can play multiple 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 positions. So hopefully we can just take that and just. Use that to our advantage. We're deep, and, we're, and we have a lot of veterans on our team, so hopefully we can use that to win a lot are, of games. Are you going to be used more as kind of like a, a stretch four this season than, than in the past? No, I'm going to be like I'm going to be a three and a four. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on who's guarding me. So if a four, if a like I said, we have a lot of people that can be multiple positions. So if a if a small guy is guarding me, then I'm going to go inside at the four. If if George has a uh, big guy guarding him. He go from the perimeter. So it's just it's just who's guarding who that we use those matchups to take advantage of. Which newcomer has impressed you the most so far? Um, freshman or, or newcomer period. Uh, newcomer period. Derek's Derek's doing pretty good. He's getting better every day. You know, it's it's a he's a lot on his shoulders to come in as a as a as a new player and be a fifth year senior to help contribute a lot. So we're counting on him to help a lot with with everything. You know, so. We need everybody though. Everybody, everybody matters the same amount. Everybody contributes to getting better. So hopefully, I can do the same. Well, what about freshmen? Is there one that really stands out to you? Um, everybody. I mean, we need a lot of work. We all need a lot of work. So freshmen. I think I think Bryce is doing good just because our principles are defensive rebounding. So he prides himself on defense. So it helps to it helps us to get better. So. With him priding himself on defense, I like that a lot. But everyone gets better. Lucas is a sharp shooter. Dallas has post work. He's a big seven-footer. Um, Deleon, he's working. He's getting better. He's a strong lefty, even though he's skinny. But, so we're getting better every day. Thanks, Xavier. Good stuff there from XJ. He's not buying stock in on these freshmen yet. He's doing the upperclassmen thing. So <laughs> yeah. they're, they're okay, but they need to get better. Some odds and ends here before we end the show. Davis Price, Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week. If I had said that was a possibility last week, you would have laughed me out of the room. Yeah, so I was – we'll talk about this a little bit at the end, or, at the end of odds and ends here, but I was in the car for that field goal. And the, the radio announcers were just like, um, there's like, I don't know, we're going to give them pretty good field position here. <laughs> this is kind of questionable. And the kick is up, and uh, oh, my, it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> they were just like so shocked. And I was like, all right, Davis Price, let's go. <laughs> the goalposts are – uh, 10 feet up, right? Yeah. Same as a basketball yeah. room. That thing got up to about 11 feet, and it stayed at 11 <laughs> feet all the way through. That thing barely got off the ground, but it just kept going and going and going and going. I am not willing to feel comfortable in the place-kicking <laughs> situation going forward. Yes. But credit has to be given where credit is due, and it's an awesome story for a kid that Goes into the game thinking that he's just going to be kicking the ball off. He's got his his family from Evergreen in the stands. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. I mean, he's I, I think he's capable of making an extra point, which is an improvement over what we saw from Chris Graham. So, in that role, he's going to be better than what we've seen overall. I mean, he'll probably, he does kick it pretty low as well. I'm sure we'll see a couple yeah. blocked throughout the way. But uh, he's got enough leg to – I mean, he. yeah, I feel pretty good from him 45 and in at this point. He looks like he's got enough leg. I am sticking with my prediction that place kicking will cost this team a game at some point. I'm not going to move off of that, but I hope David Price proves me wrong. Yeah. Dante Sparacco, he signed some scholarship paperwork on his official visit. I still don't – it's kind of like the Davis Webb thing. I don't think It doesn't mean much, yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of a symbolic thing of kind of a middle finger to the people that criticize him when he yeah, left. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of concern when he left that he was looking for other scholarships, and he's gotten a few from what we've heard. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I think most people have learned to be pretty comfortable with him as a CU guy, especially as he's a, he's a January um, incoming kid. There's not a whole lot of space for him at this point to uh, move off of that, unless there's a total disaster at the end of the season for CU. I can't see him going anywhere else. And one thing that was funny is when he went to Florida, you kind of worried about that distance from Boulder and it being maybe a negative him in terms of these other offers. It actually kind of works in the other way. He's away from his family. He comes back, and he had told me that he missed the mountains. Mm-hmm. He missed the vibe of Colorado, yeah. and he said he was borderline tearing up uh, when Ralphie ran yeah. at the beginning of the game. Yeah, so. I, I, by and large, his response to that question was as good as he could have asked for, yeah. I think. When I first moved out to Colorado, um, I loved it. It was great. I, I didn't really necessarily have like homesickness for back home in Arizona. But I had an opportunity after spring ball uh, to spend two and a half months back in Phoenix and kind of work, do the recruiting stuff from there. Um, I don't know if I would do that now because I like to, we we do a lot of different features. But back then I I did it. This is all the way back in, I think, 2005. After two and a half months in Arizona and I came back, it just hit me at that point. I never want to leave this place again. I wonder if that was similar to what Dante Sprock mm-hmm. had. And you, you sometimes talk to kids that grew up out here, and they talk about wanting to leave, and you just look at them and go, look, you're going to regret that. This is a special place to live. It really yeah. is. You like this guy, Max Borgi uh, from Pomona. He's an athlete, a little jitterbug, speedy guy out there. Yeah. He's small. Definitely. Class of 2018 recruit. Uh, if, if you had the, the option to offer him today, if that was your call, would you do it? No reason to, I don't think, at this point. We're still so early in the process. I mean, most of the time, these offers that kids are getting are four stars. He's going to have some options, it sounds like, for sure. Uh, if, you, if we're hearing that he runs a 10.8 verified um, 100 meter, that's flying. So, I mean, from that perspective, he's got Division One speed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're showing him a ton of interest right now. I don't, I don't think he's going to be pissed off if we're if we waited out a bit he's tiny i mean he's you want to see him get up to like maybe 170 within the next year for sure but i think he's got this i think he can play at colorado for sure he's he's as a partner turner kick returner i think he could be pretty intriguing somebody on the board mentioned this and it's a great point this is the kid you don't let go to csu because he's gonna tear you up in that rocky mountain showdown every year yeah i don't think i don't think we're gonna have to worry about i think he's gonna have better options than that the reason I brought this up, uh, of course, unless you uh, are, if you're not a subscriber to BuffStampede.com, he's part of that group of unofficial visitors that came in for the uh, Oregon State game. Kyle McCall did an update on him. It's uh, still up on our front page, so one, check that out. One of the best hurdles I've ever seen on film, though. Yeah, it was impressive. Brett Brady loved this guy when he was a walk-on at CU. He uh, joins Colorado Christian's basketball team, a Division II program, as a graduate transfer we, when we'd see him making these big shots in practice, I think, it, I'm trying to remember, I think with Ryan Konigsberg and some other guys around, we would just like look at each other and go, this guy would kill it at the Division Two level. So I'm really anxious to see if that actually holds true, if he does. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have a pretty big year there. They're not great either in that league. There are some better teams um, in that RMAC conference. So I think he'll have an opportunity to get some shots up, shall we say. <laughs> So you had to go to a wedding last Saturday. Yeah, let's not talk about it. I think we need to. Uh, fine. I want to find out how you juggled uh, watching the buffs in that I wedding. I didn't, sadly. So I was the, the wedding was at 4, so it was like in the middle of the game. It was also in Colorado Springs. So I had to, and there was also a big accident 
on the way down that we already knew about. So I left after the, I watched the first quarter at the house while everyone was texting me at the tailgate all day, yelling at me that I wasn't there. It was really, it was a really depressing moment in my life. Like I was actually angry for like three days afterwards because of this. Um, so I left at the end of the first quarter, had the rest of the game on in the car, um, got to the venue 45 minutes before the wedding started. So like 3.15 and the game was not over yet, but it was, it was over. You know what I mean? Like, luckily it worked out in my favor that the game was pretty much over as soon as I got in the car. Yeah. I was already 20 to six. They were driving, they made it 27 to six. I was like, all right, I don't have to like really stress about the result of this game. If I had, man, oh, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> so fortunately that didn't happen. But I mean, the, the wedding was great. Um, there was a, a lot of, so the guy who got married, my girlfriend's, one of her best friends got married. But the dude was a CU alum. There was a bunch of his friends there from college who gave, there's a lot of go bust talk. And I was just like, why are you saying this? Why aren't you just yelling at him for having this wedding during a home game? But it was fine. It was a really nice wedding. Well, I'd love to sit here and keep talking CU football. I got to go pick my daughter up from kindergarten and she's got homework now. This is like a new world that I ventured into. I'm, I'm getting I'm not, way too domesticated, Tyler. Yeah, I'm not ready for that life. <laughs> so you have fun with that. Um, I'm going to go do another podcast after right. this. My All parents right. are in town. I'm going to go meet my mom real quick, say hi. It's going to be good. All right. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in.